Sharon's voice is one of those voices that just goes right to your soul. I'm mailing about at the 38th annual Santa Barbara International Film Festival. And joining me now is Randy Schmidt. And he is the writer and producer of Karen Carpenter, Starving for Perfection. Hi there. Hi, good morning. Are you in uh, still in Santa Barbara? No, I'm, I'm back to real life. I'm an elementary music teacher in Denton, Texas, but I have one more day here to um, to talk with press and to kind of catch up on this long weekend. It's been really exciting. Oh, so cool. So I want to unpack this film. It, it brought back so many memories for me as a huge Carpenters fan. And of course, everybody knew what happened to Karen Carpenter, but you delve a little bit deeper. So So discuss that. My hope with this film was, you know, similar to the book that I did back in 2010, was to tell Karen's truth, because I feel like there's there's been, um, you know, numerous documentaries and books and things on the Carpenters, and a lot of it is Richard Carpenter and the family's version of events, and it wasn't until I was um, almost finished up with my, with my book, Little Girl Blue, that came out in 2010, um, I was getting close to the deadline and a, a small circle of Karen's closest girlfriends all came forward right at the end of that and said, we want to be a part of this and we want to cheerlead this project. We realize that, you know, you're not um, the National Enquirer digging for dirt and um, you, I, I, guess, I guess I gained their trust in a way and they they knew that it was okay sharing their stories with me and their feelings were that Karen's truth had not been told because she wasn't around to tell it. And um, everybody has their own truth. And so Richard's truth isn't any less true than anybody else's, but it's his own. And so these women, um, including Olivia Newton-John and um, some of Karen's unfamous <laughs> friends um, were the ones that really came forward and, and to help and help to tell Karen's truth in that book and the extension of that, which is this documentary. So what was the most shocking revelation that you heard from her close girlfriends, would you say? Um, I think just how bad things really got because most Carpenters fans know that there was sort of a, a, a mental and physical exhaustion that happened around 1975. And that's when um, the anorexia really was apparent to everybody around Karen. But um her friends told me there were many other hospitalizations and doctor visits and near misses that they um, that even some that the family didn't know about because Karen trusted um, her best friend, a woman by the name of Frenda, who I interviewed at length um, right near the end of my research for the book. And Frenda said that there were times that her own mother, Frenda's mother, would cradle Karen and and rock her almost like a baby when she was and they they would feed her as you as you would a kid at times where oh, you man. here here comes the airplane kind of thing to get her to eat something and that was something that her own family most likely didn't know about and didn't obviously do for her so she relied on the people that she knew that she could trust to care for her in times like that mm. Carney Wilson was an interesting choice to talk to. Um, we know she struggled with weight issues her entire life. So is that one of the reasons why she was on she was in the film? 
Partly, you know, I, I sought out those who had um, spoken out saying that they were inspired by the Carpenters or Karen's voice. And um, so not just looking for the people who knew her during, you know, during her lifetime, but people who were moved enough by her music to maybe even want to become musicians themselves. And so Carney grew up listening to the Carpenters. Her It was revealed, um, and it's revealed in the documentary that, you know, Brian Wilson, the genius of the genius behind the Beach Boys, was at home listening to Karen Carpenter and, you know, sharing that with his children. And so um, hearing Carney talk about those beginnings and how that music influenced her and her perception of harmony. I mean, and then for her to go on and, and you know, be a part of a, a close harmony group that recorded in a similar manner to the Carpenters is, is pretty neat. So, and I knew too, that, you know, with the, the weight struggles and, and things that Carney had been um, very open about over the years, that she would probably be good to talk about um, Karen on a number of levels. But yeah, Suzanne Summers, we, we interviewed and she had been on a, a document, sorry, not a documentary. She'd been on a Carpenters um, television special in the late 1970s and got to work quite closely with Karen during that time. And um, and then, yes, Belinda Carlisle was another who was not uh, a friend of Karen's, but who was inspired by her music and would sing close to you in her hairbrush whenever she was a teenager leading up to those years before she, you know, fronted the Go-Go's. And um, but several of the people who, who we spoke with spoke about their own issues with the pressures to be thin and the pressures to look a certain way and dress a certain way and. Um, it was definitely a theme that was was common to a lot of our our interviewees. Absolutely. And I don't think it's ever going away. Sadly, I feel like it's almost getting worse. You know, maybe. Yeah. And well, now with the emphasis on on cosmetic um, changes and things that people are doing, I mean, it, it it's to a point that um, it well, it's it's beyond anything that Karen ever dealt with, because those really weren't necessarily options back then. And I mean, um, the good thing I think, and the only good thing that that came from Karen's death is the awareness that, you know, now 40 years after her death, there are places that people can go. There are inpatient um, facilities where, you know, severe um, eating disorder patients can be, can be seen and, and, can be working on these problems. I mean, obviously people still die from this and often, but it's understood in a way that it wasn't back then. And a lot of that is due to the focus that Karen's death put on um, anorexia and other eating disorders. What I was so amazed by that I learned from this documentary, and it's wonderful by the way, so congratulations. Thank you. Is the revelation that it's an addiction and the addiction is that you you lie to people. You don't reveal to them really what's going on. And she does. She did this, Karen Carpenter, her whole life. She never admitted that, you know. Oh, I I I was I was feeling sick, but you know that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah she, so talk about that. She would find ways to to blame the the overwork. You know, she would never really acknowledge that it was what it was. And it was only in the last um, year, maybe two years of her life that she even spoke those words. Um, she finally came to her friends and said, you know, I have anorexia nervosa 
And this was like the end of 1981 after her marriage had started to fall apart. And um, she was, her weight was just plummeting again. And they were wondering what was going on and she could finally admit it. And she had reached out to, um, to a specialist and was going to be moving to New York to, to address this. And so she, she did finally get to a point where she could admit it, but it was, I think there was still so much shame and stigma surrounding it and um, very little support from the family because, you know, as uh, Cynthia Gibb, the actress who played Karen in the TV movie back in 1989 said, um, you know, the, there was that old Americana idea of she just needs rest, she just needs to eat. Um, Agnes thought, her mom, Agnes thought that she was just being stubborn. If Karen would just eat, this wouldn't be a problem. And there wasn't really much awareness for the good of therapy. And I mean, that's a generational thing. That's how it was 40 plus years ago. And um, yeah, to think if Karen had things available to her the way that, that a lot of um, people who are struggling with similar disorders do today, I, I, I think she might've had a different ending. I know it's so, so sad and tragic to even think that because she had the most golden velvety voices everybody commented on in the series. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the interviews with Olivia Newton-John were so special because of her death. And, and I, and I was like saying, he, I'm, I hope, I hope, I hope he says at the end, you know, gives her a little dedication. Oh, the, the in memoriam. Yes. Yeah, we wanted to um, to honor Olivia in that way. And she's so special to so many people. And especially those who love Carpenters usually love Olivia. There's um, there's a lot of fans who are, are big into both. And we knew it was special getting that interview with Olivia because not only was it one of her last interviews, but it was definitely the last one that she gave on the subject of her friendship with Karen Carpenter. And, um, you know, they, they were an interesting pair and it's funny Karen would call her Ange O-N-J and she but she would pronounce it Ange <laughs> and um so they had they had fun nicknames and things for each other most of Karen's girlfriends called her Case or KC um but it was it was neat to to dig into that and I wish we could have brought more of her her close circle of girlfriends together but unfortunately several of them have passed in recent years and then, of course, Olivia being the most recent. Who else did you reach out to, Randy, um, perhaps that couldn't make it? Um, let's see. Well, there were there were lots of attempts to get people who had been inspired by, by Carpenters. And um, right in the middle of things, COVID really kind of shut us down. We had several interviews lined up. And then when we went back to reschedule those, it didn't work out after all. Um, one that I had tried to get, uh, um, Bette Midler, oh. there was, there was kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a feud between Bette and Karen back in the early seventies. And, yeah. um, Bette would make fun of Karen somewhat in her, in her act. And she would say things like, you know, Karen is, is so white that she's invisible. She would make fun of her goody two shoes image. And um, so then when Bette won the Best New Artist Award in 1974, the Carpenters were the ones presenting it. And so Bette goes up on the stage and holds the trophy and says, you know, oh, Miss Karen, you know, I'm surprised she didn't hit me over the head with it. Um, 
but but then Karen had a line in the in the LA Times and she was interviewed asking do you how do you feel about you know these things that Bet says about you or whatever and she says um oh well we're the ones with the gold record for superstar on our wall um and superstar being a song that Bet Midler had kind of introduced um that's where Richard Carpenter heard it first is when Bet sang it on the the Tonight Show and um they took it and ran with it and had the hit with it so I guess that was Karen taking her own little jab back but I'd always wanted to interview Bet and find out more because I know she did respect her and in later years after Karen's passing even apologized in a interview that she did for Red Book saying if she had known what Karen was going through and the struggles that she had had um, that she would have been more kind. Oh um, man, I got chills. Yeah, I, I do wish we had got got her. And um, yeah, there were some, there were a few others that uh, John Davidson, who um, was in some of the Carpenter's television specials. I had um, such a crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody did. I mean, those those dimples and that hair. I mean, he's just such a good looking guy. But he actually dated Karen briefly. In, wow. Right around the time that that Karen met and married the man that she did in 1980, um, I guess she was kind of out on the town some, and she was um, seen several places with with John Davidson. So I, I, I do wish we had we had got to him for that. Maybe if it becomes a, a docu series or something, we can revisit and add some more to it. There you go. Did you reach out to Richard Carpenter at all? Interviews? We didn't, and that was really I, I think it. It's understandable when you watch the documentary as to why we wouldn't. Um, just knowing that I don't think he's a big fan of my book because of, you know, the depth of some of the the family secrets and things that it revealed. Um, but knowing too that all of these other projects in the past that have had his participation have also come with the editorial control that he would require. And we really wanted this to be an unauthorized documentary and to be something that was um, was not just a whitewashed retelling of the same thing. So um, that was intentional that we we didn't reach out. We really wanted to tell a different story. And like I said, telling Karen's truth versus the, the other truth that has been told through through various documentaries and books and things. Well, you would think that Richard would have wanted some truth to come out to sort of help others you know that's I feel like that's what your documentary does in so many ways right. well I think momentarily after Karen's death he did and he would talk at length about her her personal struggles and and the issues with anorexia but at a certain point he got tired of it and he wanted to turn things back around to the music which is understandable I mean it was I'm, I'm sure incredibly painful to keep revisiting that every time that he did an interview and um, but yeah, he kind of turned the page on that and didn't want to talk about Karen's personal life really um, after a certain point, maybe in the 1990s. Why are you so interested in Karen Carpenter? I was so touched by her voice the first time that I heard it, and it had so many layers to it. I felt like there was like almost like a, a sub text going on with everything she did like something else she wanted to tell us and um I was a 13 year old kid who watched the the tv movie the Karen Carpenter story and the opening strains of rainy days and Mondays at the beginning of that just kicked it off for me and 
for the next two hours, I, I watched that story unfold to a soundtrack of, of Karen's music. And um, so I fell in love with the music and the story all at once. And the next day found myself in our public library and researching and, you know, never with the intention of a book or a film or anything like that, just for my own curiosity, because I was that kid. <laughs> and um, over the years, it, it just sort of snowballed in a good way and um, grew to be the book that I, I ended up writing the book that I kept waiting for someone else to. You know, I, I knew the book that I wanted to read about the Carpenters or especially about Karen and nobody else seemed to be coming forth with it. So that's what prompted me to do it, especially after I got the opportunity to start interviewing some of her friends and associates, people she worked with in the studio. And I was just doing it for my own curiosity in the beginning and then realized I was accumulating kind of this wealth of of stories and, and information that uh, was really valuable to a lot of the fans. So they encouraged me to, to do the first book and that grew into what is this film now. You know, sadly, we just lost Bert Backrack and that just floored me. I'm actually editing an interview I did with him in 2003, mm -hmm. crazy. But the music will always be there and her music will always be there. Do you find that the Carpenters music will make a resurgence as a result? <laughs> yeah, there's. it seems like there's something that comes along every five or 10 years that puts it out, back out there into the consciousness and, and in, introduces it to a new generation. I mean, like for me, it was that TV movie. And for others in the 1990s, it was a tribute album with a lot of alternative rock bands and stuff that were covering Carpenter's songs. And even my book in 2010 prompted, I think, a great deal of interest because it rippled out beyond that core fan group, you know, the diehards that are going to be sitting there on the day that it's released waiting to get it. Of course, that's fantastic. But if it can go beyond that to the people who say, oh, my first concert when I was a kid was the Carpenters, or we had, we've only just begun at our wedding. And that next um, ripple of fans who maybe don't know quite as much, that's who we're hoping to reach with this documentary too. You know, not those who know everything. Um, my producers kept reminding me, th those that I was working with along the way on this, that you know, we're not trying to make this for the diehards because I, I kept trying to make sure that there were plenty of Easter eggs and, you know, photographs that had never been seen and footage that had never been seen. And they they kept reminding me, you know, we have to tell the story for a general audience too. And um, I think we we did a pretty good job of, of doing a balanced look at Karen's life and music and something that both the diehards can watch and go, wow, where did these recordings come from? Or where's that picture from? But then those who really don't know all that much about her can hopefully leave thinking, I know this woman now, I, I get it. Absolutely. Randy, it was such a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to meet you as well. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. My pleasure. And again, the film is called Karen Carpenter, Starving for Perfection. It, will it be released in theaters anytime soon or how can we see it? Right now, we are kind of making the film festival circuit. And so we just had our premiere this past weekend at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, of course, as you mentioned at the top of the interview. And um, we're going to Sedona in a couple of weeks for a film festival screening there. And there are several others um, on the horizon throughout this spring. 
And of course, the hope is um, to, to get a distributor at some point and get this thing out there so that um, the masses will be able to see it on a streamer or, or a network or something like that. Absolutely. Well, we're getting the word out right here. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for your help. Take good care. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. So much of life ahead. We'll find a place where there's room to grow. And yes, we've just begun. Always news. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to you. To you. To you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.